Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. If your dad loves a mystery, I encourage you to pick up my novel, Slime Incorporated. It is available as a paperback or also an audiobook through audible.com or the iTunes store. iTunes uh, working well for uh, sending gifts. It's a modern mystery, but with a lot of uh, nods to classic detective fiction. You can pick up the paperback in any fine online retailer. And you can find all my books, audiobooks, and ebooks at store.greatdetectives.net. Well, now it's time for today's episode of The Lone Wolf. As a matter of setup, Warren William left the role of Michael Lanyard after uh, 1943. The series returned after the war with Gerald Moore playing Michael Lanyard is a pretty dramatic shift in portrayals. And then in 1948, The Lone Wolf came to radio. And there is a lot of conflicting information about the radio series. It does appear to have started over the Mutual Network in the summer of 1948. And two different actors played the lead role of Michael Lanier during the run of the series, Gerald Moore and Walter Coy. Now, there are some sources that say that Coy started out and then Gerald Moore replaced him. But I will tend to believe John Dunning's Encyclopedia of Old Time Radio, which says that Moore started out and then Coy took over. This makes sense because in September of 1948, Moore took over as the star of The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. And it was very rare for an actor to star in two different series for two different networks at the same time. Jack Webb did it for about four weeks where he was still playing Pat Novak even while Dragnet was getting started. But at any rate, I think it's safe to say more wouldn't be coming on as the Lone Wolf. So this episode uh, stars Walter Coy. He was a longtime stage, screen, radio actor, best known for his narration work on the 1955 Western anthology series Frontier, broadcast over NBC. The original air date on this program is January the 1st, 1949, and this one is The Golden Santa. Michael Lanyard. May I come in? Michael Lanyard returns in The Adventures of The Lone Wolf in our story of the Golden Center. Mutual presents The Adventures of the Lone Wolf, based on the famous character from American fiction by Louis Joseph Vance, and known the world over for more than a quarter of a century, with Walter Coy as The Lone Wolf. Around 
around about the end of every year, I begin feeling that being a lone wolf isn't all that it's cracked up to be. Or at least it isn't all that all the married men of my acquaintance think it is. People are rushing around buying Christmas presents feverishly for friends, relatives, offspring. I was brooding about it one evening, so I dropped in at my favorite spot, the Silver Seashell Bar and Grill. I like the bar because the bartender there made a beautiful milkshake. You see, I really have reforms. Bartender. Yes, sir? Do you believe in Santa Claus? I knew a brunette once in Topeka. No, I said Santa Claus. Well, for a while I thought she was Santa Claus. Uh, turned out I was wrong. Is that so? Yeah, it turned out she was twins. You can't trust women. Turned out I promised to marry both of them. You were being Santa Claus. It also turned out they had a brother. Very tough guy with a rummy. A demon typist, huh? Well, I ain't talking about no typewriter, mister. I am talking about a shotgun. Oh. Both these girls had the same brother. Must have been a coincidence. But what did you do? Marry both girls? I left Topeka. Oh. That's an acceptable solution. But I still don't know to what extent you believe in Santa Claus. Hello. What? Oh. Hello. Well, it... Looks like Santa Claus believes in you, mister. I'm Peggy. I'm Michael. That sounds like a very nice name. Well, thank you. Can I buy you a drink? What are you drinking? Milk. Why? Why? Well, that's a good question. It must have been a taste I acquired as a child. <laughs> Michael, I lost Santa Claus. Oh, that's too bad. What did you say? I lost Santa Claus. Oh, that's a terrible thing for anybody to lose. You ought to advertise. You're making fun of me. I really did lose him, and he was so cute. He was about six inches high. I think I've been drinking milk. Maybe the bartender spiked it. What kind of a Santa Claus? Oh, he was a little statue, really, and I always carried him around with me. Now I've lost him. Well, I still have the Christmas spirit. Maybe I can buy you another. No, you can't. Not unless you're a millionaire. A millionaire? That leaves me out. Why would I have to be a millionaire? Because he was made of solid gold. Solid gold? Well, maybe you didn't lose him then. Maybe he was stolen. I thought of that, but you will help me find him, won't you? I, uh, uh, what? Well, I lost my Santa Claus, and if you're a gentleman, certainly you'd help me find him. I see. Well, okay, I'll help you find him, but uh, not because I'm a gentleman. <laughs> We got into my car and started off on our search of the lost Santa Claus. It turned out that Peggy had been visiting nightclubs before she found me brooding over my milkshake. So we visited the same nightclubs in reverse order. The first one was the Gay Grotto. This is one of the places, Michael. But I don't see anyone I know. It's hard to see anyone at all in here. Oh, there's a waiter coming. Good evening. Hello, never mind the table. All we want is Santa Claus. Well, I... uh, Santa Claus? That's right. He's a little Santa Claus, about six inches high. We think Miss Peggy here may have forgotten him. But the lady with you, sir, hasn't been here at all tonight. Of course I was. I'm sorry, but I always see everyone who enters, and you are not here tonight. Michael, he's lying. Why should I lie, madam? It's a fair enough question. Let's go, Peggy. But... He seems pretty sure. There's no point in arguing with him. You may have lost your Santa Claus someplace else. Now, what was your stop before the gay grotto? Place called Mike's Joint. Mike's Joint. 
Michael, maybe I did lose my Santa Claus someplace else. And maybe the waiter didn't notice that I had Santa Claus with me when I was at the gay grotto. But why did he say he'd never seen me? Mike's joint. It's a noisy place. Step right in. Step right in. Plenty of room. Plenty of room, folks. Plenty of bubble water, will you, Dad? All we want is this lady Santa Claus. Yeah. I'm Santa Claus, about six inches high. Mister, you already had enough bubble water. You're sure this year Santa Claus wasn't dressed in pink? Like uh, elephants say, huh? He wasn't dressed in pink, and I'm not seeing elephants either. When this lady was here earlier tonight, she had a small Santa Claus with her. We wanted it. Who did you say was here earlier? Me. But, lady, you wasn't. I was, too. No. Michael. Would you be prepared to repeat that statement under oath? Mister, I wouldn't repeat the statement that the earth is round under oath. But this dame wasn't here earlier. Good night. Come on, let's go, Peggy. Michael, I'm beginning to get scared. That was pretty much the story in all the other places we visited. Nobody had seen Peggy's Santa Claus before. Apparently, nobody had seen Peggy before. Michael, I'm fine. Now, take it easy, Peggy. There must be some explanation. That Santa Claus was gold. He was worth something. If somebody sold him... Michael, that would mean that only one of those head waiters lied. But they all said they never saw me before. Well, maybe they all need glasses. Peggy, before you started this round of nightclubs, had you been anywhere else? Well, I had dinner at the Barbary Coast Room. Alone? No, I was with Sandra Crane and Pete Farrell and Joe. Then I had a fight with Sandra. What about? She said I was trying to steal her husband. Sandra did? Well, is he worth stealing? Well, he's fat. He's about 55. And he makes funny noises when he eats well, He sounds lovely. And he's got about $50 million. He's worth stealing. Were you trying? No. Besides, Sandra's been running around with Pete Powell for months now, and Pete used to be my boyfriend, and so we had a fight. Well, that's not hard to understand. Let's go back and see if we can get a late dinner, huh? The Barbary Coast Room, by some strange coincidence happened to be in the Barbary Coast Hotel, which looked like one of the $50 million Peggy had mentioned. We went in, and we went right out again. The place was shut down for the night. Well, that's about that, Peggy. Might be interesting, though, finding out where your dinner companions are. They might be upstairs. Pete has a suite here. Well, then let's go visit Pete. Oh, uh, by the way, Peggy, was he the one who gave you the golden Santa Claus? Not exactly. Mr. Crane did. Oh, then by all means, let's go visit Pete. He may not believe in Santa Claus. We rode up to the top of the hotel in an elevator, which, if it wasn't made of solid gold, was at least gold-plated. Pete's suite was at the very top. For a moment, I thought we'd be switching over to oxygen tanks before we got there, but we managed to breathe in spite of the altitude. The corridors were carpeted with rugs so deep that we were wading up to our knees in them. Being a gentleman, I knocked at Farrell's door. Come in, come in, come in. There are only two of us. Hello, hello, hello. They're all here. Hello, everybody. Hello, hello, Peggy. This is Michael. Mm, he's nice. Where on earth did you find him, Peggy? I found him while I was looking for my Santa Claus. 
somebody stole it. My dear, you did all right. Tell me, Michael, have you ever played football? Some years ago. You could play on my team right now. Now, Sandra, behave yourself. LB still, Pete. He's taller than you are, much more handsome. And those shoulders. Michael, are you wearing a padded coat? No. Then for heaven's sake, sit down. Right here, next to me. Sandra? Shut up. Yeah, Pete, shut up. The guy's taller than you. Look at him shoulders. Joe, I don't think I like you. Go away. I'm too comfortable right here. We were so happy when you went away before. That was before. Now I'm still. Let's all calm down, huh? Show a little Christmas spirit. I want my Santa Claus. Maggie wants her Santa Claus. She also wants my husband. Why, you... By the way, Sandra, where is your husband? I don't know. Joe, where's my husband? Joe always knows where my husband is. Yeah, that's right. I know where he is. I, uh, seen him a little while ago. Is he coming over here? I don't think so. Antisocial, huh? You could maybe say that. Oh, but, uh, leave us thought of something more interesting. Like, uh, Peggy's Sunday claw. You know where it is? Yes. I know where it is. Oh, I could kiss you for that. I'll bet you could. Him or anyone else. I don't have to listen to that kind of thing, Sandra. And for goodness sake, turn this thing off. Look, we're getting away from the point. Joe, where is Peggy Santa Claus? <laughs> He's just... Hello? Hey. Well, if the idiot who turned them out doesn't put them on again... I'll... It was neatly done. Nobody saw anybody click the light switch. In the darkness, all you could see was the flash of gunfire, and then a deeper darkness still. I found the light switch. Joe was lying on his back, but not because he was tired. He was dead. Whoever had pumped the gun at him had done it very efficiently. I grabbed Peggy before anyone thought of stopping us, and we got out of there fast. But, Michael, why was Joe shot? Only one reason. He knew where your Santa Claus is. Oh, uh, by the way, Peggy, who is Joe? He was a rat. Well, that might be almost anybody. Be a little more specific, huh? He did all of Mr. Crane's dirty work for him. I think he was a blackmailer, too. Oh, that's interesting. Peggy... Do you want Crane? He's got $50 million. I guess you want Crane. Does he want you? What do you think? Well, my grandmother would disapprove of what I think, but I don't have $50 million. Some need it, some don't. Oh, this is Mr. Crane's little gray home in the West. Come on, Peggy. This looks like a jail. Look at those bars up on the window. Mr. Crane is a very suspicious man. Not to mention a man who's crazy about locks. He's got a half a dozen on the front door, which means we ring. He thinks everybody's after his money. And? They are. What? Either he isn't in or he doesn't want to be disturbed. Peggy, you wouldn't happen to have a few keys for this place, would you? My All right, all right. Come along. I'm going to find you a cab. Why? I'm sending you home. I've got work to do here, and you'd only be in the way. I'll phone you in the morning. Are you going to wait until Mr. Crane gets home? Maybe. Oh, Michael, you won't do anything rash, will you? No. Not unless Mrs. Crane gets home first. I made like a guard in front of Buckingham Palace. It was an hour before anything happened. Sandra. I hope I didn't frighten you, Sandra. You did at first. 
No, I'm not at all frightened. Well, that's good. May I come in with you? If you insist. But, uh, Michael, my husband's home. I don't mind. But he might. Why? He doesn't even know me. No, but, uh, he knows me. Oh. Hmm. Must have gone up to bed. He left the lights on in the library. Sandra, is that your husband seated before the fire? Oh, yes, that's Walter. He must have fallen asleep down here. Not quite, Sandra. What do you mean? He isn't asleep. He's dead. Oh, no. Oh, yes. Oh, no. Somebody shot him very neatly right over the heart. Two bullets. Poor Walter. Are you hiding your grief stricken face in your hands, or are you just hiding your eyes? What? Why would I hide my eyes? Well, if you didn't, I might notice that there were no tears in them. That would be embarrassing after all that sobbing. There's always something wrong. What? With shoulders like yours, did you have to be smart, too? I hate to mention it, but your husband is dead. He never had any shoulders at all. Does his bank account survive it? I already said you were smart. No, not very. For example, I don't know who shot him. Did you? Of course I didn't. What are you staring at? This thing. was lying right next to him. may come as a surprise to you, but what I'm holding in my hand is a little Santa Claus about six inches high and... Judging from its weight, it must be made of gold. Then you know who shot him, don't you, Michael? Peggy did. That Santa Claus belongs to Peggy. Walter gave it to her last Saturday. Well, try and restrain your deep delight, Sandra. Why would Peggy have killed your husband? That's simple. He probably promised to divorce me and marry her. He did that with all his girls, but he never meant it. Peggy must have found that out and shot him. And if she did, she was a little stupid. You can't marry a corpse. Oh, then she had another reason. He's been lending her money. Lots of them. Well, how do you know that? Because he told me. He told you? He always told me. He'd lend them money and they'd think he was giving it to them. And then he'd make them pay it back. Oh. Will you excuse me if I don't shed a tear in his memory? He was a low character. Still, I don't like murder. You'd better not- notify the police, I think. Oh. Uh, by the way, Sandra, you're a widow now. Mm-hmm. I suppose so. Peter Farrell should be the first to know, shouldn't he? exactly why I said that to Sandra. Maybe a hunch, but having said it, I had to follow through. So I went back to the Barbary Coast Hotel, up in the gilded elevator to the high altitude at which Peter Farrell lived, and... Who's there? Western Union. Where's the telegram? Oh, it's you. Yes, me. I have a singing telegram for you. I'm the bearer of glad tidings. Oh, I'm sleepy. Go away. I think my tidings are going to be very stimulating. They'll wake you up. Let's go inside. Well, all right. Thank you. All right, what's the message? Well, Mrs. Crane has suffered a great loss. (laughs) You mean she's lost her belief in Santa Claus? No, she's lost her husband. He walked out on her. No, he's going to be carried out. Dead. No comment, Phil? Thanks for letting me know. Yes, I think you probably are very thankful. Are you going to rush over and console the widow? Not right away. I wouldn't want the cops to get ideas about me. Oh. Ideas that maybe I made her a widow. Would their ideas be wrong? Well, I'm not a killer. Well, let's just see. Hey, let's have that gun in your pocket. No, don't reach for it. I hated myself for striking Farrell, so crude, but I wanted his gun and I got it. 
I couldn't tell whether it had been fired recently or not. The police would be able to when I turned it over to them. If, that is, if Peter Farrell was really my boy. But in the meanwhile, I went to visit Peggy. She was a little too much in the middle of the entire business for me to feel comfortable about her being alone in her apartment. I knocked at her door, but I got no answer. Like that, I phoned Farrell at his hotel. He'd gone out, too. I wondered if he felt ineffectual about his gun. There are a lot of other ways of killing women besides shooting them. Strangling, for in- instance. Had always gone over very big. It wasn't a pleasant thought. About the only one whose whereabouts I was sure of was Sandra. But I decided not to phone her. She might leave before I got to the Crane mansion. I got there in time to see a couple of police cars pull away. I didn't stop them. I didn't go inside immediately. I parked 50 yards up the street and waited. After a while, a cab came along and stopped in front of the Crane mansion. Peggy got out. She went up to the front door and rang. After a couple of minutes, the door opened and Peggy went in. I remained in the car. Five minutes after Peggy went into the house, Mr. Farrell drove up. He got out, went up the front steps. He stuck a key in the lock, opened the door, and went in. The cast was complete. I got out of the car. I was tired. The hour was late. It was time to wind up the game. Who? Oh, Michael. Michael, it is. May I come in? Of course, if you don't mind crowds. I don't mind crowds. Peggy's inside and Pete. Two candidates for the electric chair. Michael, you don't think Pete killed my husband, do you? How much difference would it make to you if I did? I'm sort of accustomed to Pete. Oh. Oh, I forgot. I should have mentioned that the third candidate for the chair... Yes? ...is walking at my side. Hello, Peggy. Hello, Farrell. Oh, Michael, I'm so glad to see you. You should have stayed at your apartment. I tried to get you there. Oh, I didn't know. I got frightened, so I came here. Well... Here we all are, one big happy family. I must apologize for Walter. He can't join us. Stop that. Take it easy, Peggy. It won't take much longer. You mean you know who killed Crane, Lanyard? Yes, I know. There's only one thing that I don't know, Sandra. Yes? Does your front door have to be locked, or does it snap shut? It snaps shut. All right. Then we know who killed Joe and Crane, don't we? To misquote one of my favorite poems, speak for yourself, Michael. I intend to. Why was Joe killed? (laughs) Somebody didn't like him. And yet he was a lovable character. No, Farrell, Joe was killed because he was a blackmailer. Who was he blackmailing? It could have been almost anyone. Could even have been you. How would you like your past investigated, Farrell? Uh, Let's leave my past out of this. Or maybe it was Peggy. She was playing around with a married man, wasn't she? Oh, my God. Or it could have been Sandra. My husband knew all there was to know about me. There's nothing I had to hide serious enough for me to kill. Maybe. Maybe not. That isn't what I had in mind, though. I got onto this case because Peggy lost her golden Santa. Now, Joe knew where that Santa was. That's why he was killed. Well, that means he must also have known who stole my Santa. That's right. Which leads to another question. The three of you had dinner together at the Barbary Coast Room. Then Peggy left. Farrell, were you and Sandra together for the rest of the evening? Yes, we were. That isn't true, Pete. You left me for a little while. Fool, you've destroyed your alibi. You've destroyed her alibi, Farrell. She's also destroyed yours. That means that either of you could have slipped away to the house here and killed Crane. Crane would have let the killer in, been murdered. Then all the killer had to do was to slam the door shut behind him. I don't like the way this is shaping up. You haven't any right to do this, I'm going to do it, though. 
Peggy, do you have a gun on you? Yes, I have. I live alone. Let me have it quick before Farrell there decides to go bye-bye. Here, Mike. Thanks. It's loaded, isn't it? Yes, it is. Or at least partially loaded. What do you mean? There'd be a few bullets missing, wouldn't there? The bullets that killed Joe and Crane before him. Peggy. Yes. But what did you say? Joe was killed because he knew where the golden Santa was. At first I thought maybe that Santa had been stolen from you and planted beside Crane's body in order to cast suspicion on you. And I began thinking, if somebody else had planted that Santa there, they'd have wanted it discovered. They'd have wanted Joe to speak up and say where he'd seen it. So it occurred to me, suppose you killed Crane. You'd drop the Santa beside him by accident. You killed Crane and left the house as fast as you could go. It wasn't until after the door had slammed shut behind you that you remembered your Santa. You had to do something and do it quick. Well, what you did was hunt me down. You knew my favorite spot and you'd heard that I was a sucker for a pretty girl. You thought you could use me to help you build an alibi. Of course, you knew that the Santa was going to be discovered eventually, but if it was late enough, your alibi might be safe. Joe upset your apple cart, though. He discovered the Santa too soon. So you had to kill him. I was at the nightclub. No, no. You told me you'd been to a dozen nightclubs, but when we got there and checked, no one remembered you. No one recognized you. There was no mystery about that. You'd never been there. Peggy, you were a smart girl, but your chance of getting away with it, well, was murder. I took Peggy over to headquarters and deposited to her. They'd keep her for a while, probably for life. She was a pretty girl, but she liked money too much, and she didn't mind killing. There was another pretty girl in the case. It's a lovely night, Michael. Sure. Aside from the fact that it's snowing, we might have an earthquake at any moment. It's a very lovely night. You're lovely, too. And smart. Anyway, the best of the locality afford. Now, what do you suppose I'm going to do right now, hmm? Hmm. Thanks. That was very pleasant. I didn't expect it so soon after Christmas. You know, I think maybe there is a Santa Claus after all. In our adventure of The Lone Wolf were Gene Bates, Yvonne Patey, Jack Edwards, Jack Petruzzi, and Herb Vigrant. This episode of The Lone Wolf was written for radio by Louis Vittes. Rex Corey is our musical director. Now, once again, here is our star, Walter Coy, who returns as Michael Lanyard with a word about next week. Next week, it's the story of the thoughtful thief, in which a crook obligingly announces the time and the place of his theft in advance which causes all the valuables to be locked in a vault which is completely foolproof. The only trouble is the thief isn't a fool. Listen, won't you? And now, this is Bob Anderson reminding you to join us again next week, same time, same station, for another adventure of... The Lone Wolf. This program came to you from Hollywood and was heard in Canada through the facilities of the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System.
Hi, this is Andrew from otrwesterns.com. I wanted to invite you to come take a look at our site where we put out podcasts of old-time radio westerns. Check us out at otrwesterns.com. You're listening to The Great Detectives of Old-Time Radio with Adam Graham. Now let's get back into the show. Welcome back. Not the best plan we've heard on this series. With the huge hole of having to go to Knot Club after Knot Club where no one remembered seeing you. But perhaps it was just a shot in the dark to avoid punishment. Just figured, let's see if it works. Now, according to the Encyclopedia of Old Time Radio, the last episode of The Adventure of the Lone Wolf uh, was on January 1st, 1949. So this would be the last episode. Now, it is possible that the book is wrong, but the fact that they announced a program for next week doesn't mean that it didn't get canceled before that aired. That sort of thing did happen during the golden age of radio. Uh, It was heard on the last episode, I believe, of The Private Files of Rex Saunders, where there was a mention of what next week's show is going to be. There could be a great deal of instability and programs pulled off very, very suddenly. So there's a whole lot we don't know about the Lone Wolf program, but at least we kind of got a sample of what it was all about. I would be very curious to hear some Gerald Moore episodes of this series, if any emerge. And who knows, they may one day do so. Next week's program, an episode of Pat Novak for Hire me thinking that uh, we could be surprised by nearly anything re-emerging. Uh, join us back here tomorrow for Richard Diamond. If you do have a comment, send us uh, box13, uh, greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.